glad to be here today? You should be happy to be here because it's Father's Day and nothing says Father's Day, Happy Father's Day is like an annual business meeting that we have on July the 1st, all right? So we want all of our dads to be there. Uh, we actually have a night of vision. It's an annual business meeting that we normally have, but we're going to try to change it up a little bit, okay? It's going to be some worship. We're going to have some talking about things where, we're, where we've been um, and the health of our church, but we're also going to talk about where we're going with, uh, and Craig's going to tell us some of that. And uh, it's going to be a great night. Then we're going to have ice cream afterwards, and we're going to do it all in an hour. You, why do you laugh? You're like, there's no way. Well, I'll tell you how we're going to do that, all right, is we have two Q&A, uh, proposed budget Q&As that are going to happen on June 20th and June 24th. You can go on the website, find more details about that. But that's for you to be able to, if you're interested at all in knowing what's going on with the church as far as business goes and um, just kind of the health and asking questions to Craig and our leaders, uh, those are going to be two little Q&As that are going to happen for our night of vision on July 1st. Um, it's going to be a great time, so I... Uh, hope that you can make that. All right, so we are in Genesis chapter 22. We are finishing up our family trip series. Pastor Craig is with his daughter. She is doing some evangelism, discipleship training in Florida, um, suffering for the Lord in Florida on the beach. Um, but no, she's with the Petermans, and they are uh, they're doing some training where they're working during the day, and then they're doing some evangelism and some discipleship. And she's there for the summer, and so she couldn't get away, and so Craig just had to go visit her. So he went with LB and Liz, and they're visiting her this weekend, and he'll be back next week. Uh, but we are, um, we're going to be praying for him as he's gone this week. But today we are finishing our family trip series with Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 18. I'm going to just go ahead and tell you right off the bat, I'm fired up. And so we're going to start in verse 1, and I'm going to only say a few words, and then I'm going to start talking about something else, and then we'll get back to the Scripture, I promise, all right? So verses 1 of chapter 22, it says, After these things, God tested Abraham. After these things, God tested Abraham. Well, what are these things? What we found out in this family trip series is that Abraham was going to be the father of many nations, and he accepted the call of God on his life to be able to help bring about a righteous people um, and raise up godly people to be able to ge create generations of faithful people who trusted in God and did the, the uh, things the way God wanted them to be done. And so he promised Abraham many things, but one of the things that he promised him was a son. And Abraham was almost 90 years old and still didn't have a son. Sarah and Abraham, uh, in fact, whenever Sarah was 75 years old. God's told Sarah that it's going to happen and you're going to have a son. And she laughed. Well, when she was 90, she ended up having Isaac. And Isaac was named, laughed, Isaac means laughter. Okay, and so she named her son Isaac, which means laughter, which is kind of funny, right? Because she went to, the, to buy her son diapers and her husband diapers as well. And so, but God kept his promise. God delivered on his promises, and God was not done with Abraham. Abraham had gone through so much already, but it said after these things, God tested Abraham. Why does God test us? I mean, really, why does God test us so much? Like, why does that have to be a thing, God, right? I mean, like, whenever I say the word test, I bet some of the people, students here are like, I just got done with school. Please stop talking about testing, please, all right? I'm not, and we're done with that deal. Um, but why does he test us? 
Why does he tempt us? Why does he try? Why, why are there trials in our life? Why are there just, there's hard things that we have to go through? What, what, what's that all about? Well, there's two differentiations that I need just to make, all right? One is between temptation and trials or temptation and tests. In James uh, chapter 1, verses 12 uh, and 13, it talks about the differences between trials and temptations. Well, I'm going to start with verses uh, 13. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Or God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So we find that God does not tempt us. There's a difference between temptations and testing. Well, let's look at verse 12, then. What does it say before that? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So what we see is temptations are meant for evil, right? The enemy, the devil, the serpent tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Temptations are meant for our destruction. They're meant for death. But testings are meant for life. They're meant to build us up. They're meant meant to make us stronger. And that's what God is doing here with Abraham. And Abraham's about to embark on the greatest trial and test of his life. Now, Martin Luther said it this way. He says, as a believer, we are always going into, in the middle of, or going out of a test or a trial. So think about that personally. Think about that with your family. We're always going into a test. We're always, we're always in the middle of a test. Or at some point, we may be coming out of a test. That helps us to remember those things because then we can celebrate or we can learn from those. Or we can be in the moment and learn how to trust and be faithful. Or we can prepare for the test. We can know that we know that we're going into. And so we find in verse 1, now that we're back onto the scripture, we'll go through verse 2 and 3 as well. So after these things, God tested Abraham and he said, Abraham... And Abraham said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering across and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So Abraham... Hears from God, he says, hey, I need you to go sacrifice your son. And so he rises up early and he goes and he gets everything together and he goes and he's going to go sacrifice his son. I mean, right? That's what everybody would do. No, what is happening? Why? Why, what is, why did Abraham, he didn't consult with Sarah. I mean, it says he just rose early, got his donkey, did all the things that it took to prepare, got some wood together, got his son, and they went. You know, in the same way, Noah, it said that he heard God and he obeyed. God said, build an ark. There hadn't been rain, and he built one and he obeyed. There's a certain connection between hearing and obeying, hearing God and doing something about it. In fact, in the scripture, in the Hebrew text, there's not a word for obey in the Hebrew. There's a word for hearing, and that word is shema. Everybody say shema, shema. So, that word is to hear. 
That word implies obeying. Hearing and obeying are, they're, they're, there's not one without the other. When, when Abraham heard the Lord, he obeyed. That was just something that he did. I'll tell you this right now. I'm a terrible listener. I mean, that's really hard to say in front of a lot of people, but I'm not a great listener, all right? My daughter calls me Josh all the time because she goes, Dad, can I have somebody come over tonight? Hey, Dad, can I have somebody come over tonight? Dad, 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 Josh. What, you know, to Josh, can I have somebody come over tonight? No, hang on just a second. Sorry. And I was doing something. Wife says the same thing. Hey, Tatum wants to have somebody come over tonight. You, you, uh, what do we want to do? Are we going to have dinner or do we want to have her over or what should we do? And I'm like, hang on just a second. I'm working on the sprinkler. Sprinklers are from the devil. And I, hang on. She's like, oh, no, but we need to figure out what we need to do. To, to get this done, I'm like, hang on, you know, I'm like, hang on just a second, and I'm like looking at my phone or something, and she's like, do you even love me anymore? And I'm like, yes, I love you. What? What are we talking about? Right? My son, if he wants my attention, if he wants me to hear him, he just comes in the room, and he just goes, puts his hands like this. He's like, hey, Dad, um, I was just wondering if I could have $20 for gas. I'm like, bro, get that tone out of your voice. You're not that nice, all right? Stop acting like that, you know? I'm like, that's how he gets my attention instead of just talking normal, right? Because the people that are closest to us sometimes are the hardest ones to listen to. I know it sounds weird to say that, but it's the truth, right? Because they're close to us and we get to know them and sometimes we can be selective in the way that we hear them. It's not something that is good or bad, it just happens, right? Because there's certain priority that it takes to be able to hear and to listen, it, there's, a certain, there's usually an action that comes into listening. There's a response that needs to happen. And so listening and hearing and obeying, that is one thing that, that Abraham, he had done. But it's not just because, not because he just all of a sudden did that. I mean, this is something that you can tell that he has learned to hear God. God has been faithful. God has given him promises. And he is, God is fulfilling those promises in his life. And so Abraham obeyed immediately. Let's look at verse 4. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hands the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. So Abraham is going where God had told him to go. And he kind of skirts the question when Isaac is saying, hey, so where's the lamb for the burnt offering? I know that we're doing this. So, so, so Isaac kind of knows what's going on. He, he's seen this done before. He's seen the sacrifice has happened before, and so he knew that this was a part of what needed to happen. And so Abraham says, God's going to provide that for us. But God told, God told Abraham that Abraham, that Isaac was that sacrifice, right? So he's skirting this question. I think there's a little bit to be known here, right? There's, there's, I, 
I want to say it's a certain fear that's, that's taking place in Abraham's heart. A little questioning that's happening in Abraham's heart. And because, you know, I heard a teacher say one time that, uh, that the problem about living sacrifices is that they're living and they can crawl off the altar, right? And Romans 12.1 says, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. There's, there's this commitment to a sacrifice that is pleasing to God, and we know this, but it's, it's something that's really difficult. It's something that's hard. Abraham is having to be persistent here and pressing towards the sacrifice that God's asked him to make. Abraham obeyed immediately. But I don't think that that fear, I don't think that some of that questioning, I don't think some of that doubting is, had left him automatically. Because it wasn't going to be easy. I mean, I can imagine my son. I mean, my son's 16. And for me to be put in that place where I have to put him on an altar. I mean, at some point, some days, maybe that's not a bad idea. But 99.9% but .9 of the time, that, just is the, that is the most asinine thing to, I've ever heard in my life. I would never do that. I don't. I, why? I don't even know how I would do it. Hey, Cooper, um, I need you to get on this altar because um, God told me to sacrifice you. What? What, Dad? What are you talking about? I'm like, get off your phone, stop playing Fortnite, and get on the altar because God's told me to do this. And he's like, you get on the altar. I'm like, bro, you better chill because this is what I, I'm supposed to do. He's like, why don't you lay your phone on the altar, Dad? <laughs> All right. I mean, it's like I can see the argument that's going to happen. He's like, he knows I'm not perfect. He knows I don't have it all together. I mean, think about Abraham. Think about all the things that he did and did not do that he was not supposed to be doing. And now he's going to take his 15-year-old, 16-year-old son, and he's going to put him on the altar to sacrifice him. Talk about being persistent. This is what I think. I think fear and faith... They walk together. And you're like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but in the Bible, it talks about fear being a bad thing. Like fear, perfect love casts out all fear. Exactly. God is love. And we have to fear the Lord. In fact, it says in Proverbs, it says, to fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. It's not about where our fear is, because I'll tell you this right now, as soon as you go into your first job interview, as soon as you go into a good test, and as soon as you have to ask someone to marry you, there will be some fear, there will be some anxiety, there will be some stress. That does not leave you, even if you're just like, I don't need fear, I don't need fear, God is love, God is love, there is no fear. It's like that fear does not leave you. It's where do you place the fear? That is the question. Where is your placement of fear? Abraham's fear was in the Lord. That's what it says here in the next part of the scripture. Then Abraham reached out his hand. He took the knife to the slaughter, his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay a hand on your boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, 
seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. The opposite of faith is not fear. The opposite of faith is certainty. Abraham trusted the Lord with all of his heart, and he didn't lean on his understanding at that point. There's no way that he could. He just knew that God was faithful. And so today, I think that probably most of you are here today because you believe that God is good. You know that God is good. God has been good in your life. God has shown grace on your life. You know that God loves you. There's probably a smaller percentage of people here that maybe you don't know if God is good, but you want God to be good. That's why you're here. You want God to know you. You want God to, to, to help you. You have a hope that God is good. And at the pinnacle of your faith, at the, at the place when you understand that it's not about you and it's about God and the story is about God and this story is not about you and it's about God's grace, then you can understand that it's not just about being, God being good, it's about is God better? Is God better than the most prized possession that you have? Because when God is better than your job, when God is better than your family member, when God is better than the unknown outcome that you have laying before you, when you know that God is better, that's whenever you are stepping over the threshold of faith. You are walking by faith. That is not easy. But that is the foundation of our faith. Let's finish up with 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his, thorn, his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withhold, held your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. There was a ram that was a substitute for Isaac that God had provided. And God's promises remained true because Abraham obeyed the voice of God. It's not about what God gives us that we handle. That's not what it is. It's that it's God helps us handle the things that we're given. Mother Teresa said it like this. She goes, I don't think that God gives us too much to handle. I just don't like that he thinks so highly of me. And I think in the, in the pursuit of life, in the pursuit of peace, in the pursuit of assurance, 
and the pursuit of purpose that many times we look at our circumstances. We look at what makes sense and we act upon what makes sense to us. Yet when we're acting in fear, God wants to be the substitute for our fear. God wants us to put our place, our, our trust, and our faith in him. And so here's my question in that. Do you know what it's like to hear God? Do you know what it's like to, to find a promise and to keep it? Do you have a promise for your family? I mean, what does that look like to you? It, it may be something as simple as, um, man, I, I don't really feel comfortable with this decision. I, I really need to pray about this. It's something as simple as that. That's, that's, there's a certain hearing and obedience to that. It's, it's taking our thoughts and it's taking them captive and then it's going, I'm going to press these towards God. You know, I know this is a pretty, pretty big decision, so I want to take time. I want to take this before the Lord. Or, hey, why don't we pray about this as a family? Something as simple as that is us recognizing. It's our kids recognizing that we are recognizing that the Lord holds uh, our, our future in his hands. He holds the promises in his hands. And they're from him. They're not from us. Recently, uh, I say that, in the last few years, uh, and I, I've told this before, the story a little bit before, but my dad, uh, my dad is a great man. He uh, grew up, he was, pretty much didn't have much, and he just kind of made a lot out of little of what he had. His dad was a traveling, traveled around a lot. His family traveled around, had a big family. And so he ended up staying in high school with some other coaches and stuff. And he ended up, well, at the age of like 12, he was, he was working at a gas station. He was throwing tires and washing cars and just doing whatever it was to make money. And he went to college on his own. And by the time he was in his mid-20s, he, uh, he had three different businesses. He was the president of the Chamber of Commerce in the city that he was at. Um, he just kind of made himself at one point, um, he gave up all of his businesses and, and he, uh, he started pursuing the Lord. He became a pastor uh, and he was just a pastor for a long time. And, and, and I could just, he was one of those men that had, he could do anything with his hands. He could work on cars. He could build stuff. He just knew how to fix everything. Uh, but at the same time, he got up every morning. He, he put his slacks on. He shaved. He tucked his shirt in. I mean, and he was up at five o'clock in the morning, ready to go for life. And he, he was a businessman. He ended up, um, by the time he retired, he, was, uh, he was, had 35 businesses and nonprofits. Um, and the reason he had to retire is because he had a stroke. Uh, he had a stroke and the stroke, it, it paralyzed one side of his body and he couldn't talk very well. Uh, and I've told that story before and I just remember the time that I was sitting kind of in the rehab place a couple weeks after the stroke. And our world had been flipped upside down because my dad was a strong man. I sang this song this weekend, I heard this song and it, it said that... Uh, that God has strong and open hands. And I believe that my dad was a great picture of what it means to have strong but open hands. 
And I remember him sitting on the, the rehab bed with my mom next to him. And my mom's cute little sweet dainty hands into his strong hands. And she, he wasn't talking and she was talking for him and I was going to visit him. And I said, mom, uh, how's everything going today? And she goes, oh, it's great. It's doing good. And then she started talking about all the, the nurses that were there and she knew everybody's name and she just, that was like her home at that place. And, um, and I said, well, she goes, what are you preaching on tonight? Because it was a Wednesday night. And I was like, well, I'm preaching on Proverbs. It's like, what does Proverbs mean to you? And I just remember her just getting into all of a sudden, she was like, oh, I love the Proverbs. She like put her hand again on my dad's leg and she's just like, Proverbs just have so many promises. They have so many promises from God. And she just started talking about how God sustains you and he provides for you and he makes a way for you. And all these, he makes all things new and he restores and he redeems. And she just was like claiming these promises that she's holding on to. There with my dad. And I'm, I'm a 30-year-old, you know, punk who's trying to figure out life. I'm trying to do everything the right way. And I'm trying to give things to God, but I'm sitting there like, how does it work? How does it happen? And my parents were great pictures of what it means to hold on to a promise that God gives us in the Bible. It's very simple, but that they hold on to them and it sustains you, whether you're going into, whether you're in the middle of, whether you're going out of a trial or a test. The most loving thing that God can do and does for us is he makes himself indispensable in our life. The most loving thing that God can do in your life is that he makes himself indispensable to you. But the question is, do we surrender to him? We know that we're finite. There was a man in that room where my mom was, we were talking about this and he like, I didn't even realize that there was a curtain dividing us. And he was like, hey, is that preaching over there? Preach, preacher. And I'm like, what is happening? And he rolls over his little, uh, you know, wheelchair and he's like, hey, you're a preacher? I'm like, yeah. He's like, why do bad things happen to people? I mean, why are there all these shootings and why are there all these, I mean, he just starts going off about all the bad things that are happening in the world. Why does that happen? And I'm like, well, what's your name? Nice to meet you. Um, well, let me start with me. Man, as much as I try, I'm a sinful person. I mess up. I don't do things the right way. And it hurts my family, hurts the people that are close to me. It hurts my neighbors, it hurts my friend, it hurts my coworkers. And you know what hurt people do? Hurt people hurt people. And so ultimately, the problem is sin. The problem is me. In fact, in the Bible, it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he goes, oh, you know what? I like sin, and I, like just, I want to go play slot machines. And, and he's like, oh, my gosh. So, I mean, at this point, I was, like, trying to talk to him, but he really didn't want to talk. You want to know why he didn't want to talk? It's because he really didn't want to face the reality. And, and the truth is, is not everybody wants to face the reality. They don't want to face the reality that, that, that sin begins with us. It's, it's us saying that we're better than whatever God has planned it, our life for. And then the enemy comes in and he tempts us to be able to point fingers at everyone else. 
And ultimately, the picture of Isaac on that mountain is the picture of Jesus. I mean, it's the picture that Isaac, in the same way that he was the only son of Abraham that was promised, is a picture of Jesus being God's only son, beloved son, perfect son. Isaac going up that hill. This uh, Theologians, they, they say that Mount Moriah was probably the same place where Jesus died on Calvary. It was the hill of Golgotha. It was the mountain region right there. That, that was probably that same region. In the same way Isaac went up that hill, Jesus carried the cross like Isaac carried his sticks up that hill. This is a foretelling. But here's the difference. Jesus is the hero and he's always been the hero. In the same way the ram was a substitute for Isaac, the thing that Abraham loved so much. Jesus was the ram in the thicket, but he was actually a spotless lamb. He was perfect, and he died for you. He died for me. He died for our sin. He took all of the sin on himself so that we might be tested, that we might be a picture of God's grace in overcoming, that we might be able to be a picture of no matter what situation that you're in, there's hope today. Because of Jesus, he is the answer. He is the way. He is the truth and the life. And through him, we can have eternal life. We can have life everlasting. Through a relationship with me, with Jesus today, I, I can hold on to promises. You know, the, the quote about Mother Teresa saying that I just didn't wish he didn't think so highly of me. Just reminds me of how we've, we've been designed in the image, of, created in the image of God. And we have a huge capacity for the spirit of God in our life. We have so much power within us, in Christ, to overcome anything, any situation, Any past, any hurt, we can overcome. We have a hope and a future in Jesus today. And if you don't know him, today is your day. It's an invitation. He's wanting you just, just to come to him, just to, to, to ask him, just to lay whatever else it is that you've put in the place that the world has to offer, whatever you've put on the sacrifice uh, that you need to sacrifice on the altar. I don't know what it is for you today. What is it? What have you put on the altar that's better than God and his perfect sacrifice? What is it that you've put there today? God wants to be the best in your life because he's made himself indispensable because he knows a good and perfect plan for your life today. And all you have to do is receive him as a gift, a free gift. All you have to do is accept him. Do you know him? I mean, that's my challenge for you today. It's my challenge for me and my family every day as a dad. It's for me to hear the Shema of God. 
to, to know, God, what do you want from me today? Search my heart. Come to know me, all my anxious thoughts, and see if there's any hidden way in me, and lead me in your everlasting, in your everlasting way.